0: Hey there, it's Jeff Benjamin here with the Investment News podcast. I'm here as always with my good friend and colleague Bruce Kelly. How you doing, Bruce? I'm great, Jeff. How are you doing today? I'm excellent, and I'm looking forward to what we've got to talk about today. We have another special guest, our colleague Mary Beth Franklin, to talk to us about some interesting findings in Social Security. The most special guest, Mary Beth Franklin? The most special guest, of course. She knows everything. I dare you to try and stump her. But uh, first, Bruce, what the heck is going on at Wells Fargo? I heard there's some big, some, they're trimming some fat over there, I guess, if that's appropriate. Well, you know, it's interesting. About a year ago,
1: they brought in a new CEO to finally try to get his arms around the mess that's been going on since 2016 at the bank. And remember, the bank makes up, you know, 70, 80% of the the total revenues at Wells Fargo and Wells Fargo Investment Management, you know, which is all the advisors and money management products and everything like that makes up, I don't know, 20, 30% of the total revenues of the firm. So it's really a big bank with a appendage, right, of a wealth management operation. But the mess has clearly seeped into Wells Fargo advisors. They've been losing hundreds of advisors for years now. And now what happened this week was when they released their earnings report, they showed 800 fewer advisors year over year, three or 400 advisors quarter over quarter. I contacted one of my sources inside the firm and he said, yeah, they laid off a whole bunch of these junior type advisors who get paid salaries they're not on the, they're not on a commission revenue scale known as the grid in the business where the more an advisor uh, generates in revenue the bigger the payout for the advisor you get 40 cents of every dollar basically if you're a guy in, in, at Wells Fargo 35 to 40 cents these guys are paid a salary and a bonus so what's extraordinary even though they're not wealth management type advisors they do get paid to take over accounts from wealth managers from time to time, and they're incentivized to do that. And going back again through the lens of the credit crisis of 2008 to 2010, to right about now, to actually lay off financial advisors is something that you just that that big firms and big banks don't do. Today we had uh, Morgan Stanley reported its earnings. They had like a net increase of seventy to eighty advisors over the summer during, you know, hiring people during the COVID, which is a remarkable thing in and of itself. And then I think you mentioned and it was in the news earlier this week, Fidelity said it was going to hire what, five or six thousand people? Yeah, four thousand, um, I think. Four thousand. Yeah. Something oh. like that. So you have firms that are actively hiring financial professionals and advisors. And then, you know, and to not just to put the spotlight completely on Wells Fargo, even though that it is unbelievable that they're laying off financial advisors who generate substantial revenue. Raymond James, about a month ago, said it was laying off around 500 people or 4% of its workforce. But those people are like back office workers and People who are not instrumental in handling clients' money, which is where you generate the revenue for the firm. So mm-hmm. they're cutting, as you say, as you note, know, you know, they're Wells Fargo appears to be cutting into not only fat here, but bone a little bit. So so they're also more broadly in the bank, they're closing branches all over the country. They're doing big cost cutting. And it's just something that seems to have been delayed at Wells Fargo for years, but now they're finally getting into the nitty gritty of it and and doing the hard work that probably should have been done there years ago.
0: Yeah. But getting rid of financial advisors, I mean, that's the point that obviously it's most pertinent to our audience, but also just, it it just sticks out there. I mean, what does that suggest to you, Bruce? And, and I mean, you haven't seen this anywhere else. Have you? No, no. And you know how closely we watch this stuff, right?
1: It it just seems, uh, I mean, that, here, here are salaried people. They're probably younger advisors. They're learning the ropes. They're learning the trade. They're hustling. They're working hard, and then everything that they have been, you know, incentivized to do and essentially promised is gone. That's how. Yeah. That's how deeply. That that's how the economic economic slowdown is is affecting the bank and its and its revenue and, and earnings, obviously. So. I mean, like I said, through 2008, 2009, 2010, we were writing about broker-dealers being sold at bargain basement prices, broker-dealers going out of business. You never heard about firms consciously laying off financial advisors because they generate revenue. And what do you yeah. need in the time of a financial slowdown? <laughs> it's it's more, as much revenue as you can bring in the door. So it, it seems very counter to what it's, it's just is. It's, it's flat out stunning. To me,
0: yeah. What? What did? How did the company justify it, or did they?
1: They really didn't. It took us some reporting to get them to say that what whatever their their, their company statement was they, that this uh-huh. is what they were going through. They cut a sizable group. They didn't even give a number, but based on what we could read through the earnings reports, it was hundreds of people, most likely, including people retiring and and advisors jumping ship to competitors.
0: Yeah, attrition and people going to competitors is, is kind of a normal course of action or, or the the evolution of the space. But I got to think that advisors that were cut just because whatever justification Wells Fargo had, they had to have some training and experience up until that point, And they might be easily picked up or find another place to land oh, yeah. because cause they would be coming in just a step above the... The Total greenhorns so well, look, uh, they've and, already and worked maybe
1: at, the- they've already worked at a large financial institution, right they have their registration right a series yeah. six or a series seven, so yeah, they're in good shape in a in a pretty vibrant job market, but you know who knows maybe they had been committed to Wells Fargo or you know maybe they got their first job through Wells Fargo, maybe you know I hope it'll work out, and i'm I'm pretty positive it'll work out you know advisors are. People want to be financial advisors and our financial advisors are pretty resilient people. They are skilled. They're highly skilled. They're trained. They have all these licenses and professional designations and training and background. So I'm sure they'll be in good shape, but just for, well, like if you're, if you're a veteran advisor at Wells Fargo, and this is yet another thing that you have to see, Oh my God, you know, the the kid, they were training in the office next door. He got the ax. I mean, I think it's just a, Another blow to the to the firm's reputation. Right now, they're laying yeah. people off. They're laying advisors off. Morgan Stanley's hiring them. is hiring people, and then this is what you get at Wells Fargo.
0: Yeah, crazy stuff. I would definitely think there's more to come on that. Yes, but in the meantime, what do you is say it we time said we most special our, 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 our most special guest, Mary Beth Franklin, is here to talk to us about. Just in time for Halloween, she has an incredibly scary story for us. Spooky. On, uh, yeah, so if you're, uh, if you're having trouble sleeping at night. Listen to this. We will contribute to that problem because Mary Beth Franklin is going to tell us how the Social Security Trust Fund is going bankrupt. And we're all going to hell in the handbasket and your mother dresses you funny. So uh, Mary Beth Franklin, welcome aboard.
2: Hey, guys. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Bruce. And let's not scare too many people up there. It's, it's sort of the, the COVID 2020 Halloween, all um. trick and no treat, right? <laughs> yes. So you, uh,
0: you did a lot of research on this cover story, which actually post. We're, uh, we're, we're here on Thursday the week before, but this post on Monday the 19th when this podcast will post. So uh, why don't you give us a little inside look at uh, what you put together?
2: Thanks. Well, as you know, Social Security benefits are paid from the payroll taxes that all we workers pay each paycheck to support current retirees. And there's for the past 30 some years has been excess money known as the trust fund revenues for the day when there wouldn't be enough tax revenue from FICA taxes alone to pay those promised benefits, then we would start drawing down the trust funds. And we have known for decades that Congress would have to do something sometime next decade to shore up those trust funds, or there simply was not going to be enough money to pay all the promised benefits. And as a former Capitol Hill reporter for many years, it has always been basic gospel that, of course, Congress would step in and fix this problem before the trust funds ran dry. But you know, we're it's such a weird year and politics are so strange that I decided, let me talk to some think tank experts and thought leaders in re- financial planning and individual financial advisors to say, well, what do you think about this train wreck coming down the road and what are you going to do about it? So I interviewed about 20 people in Washington and around the country. And first of all, I was stunned when I talked to many of these public policy experts, including a representative for the AARP, the biggest lobbyist for we old people, who said, you know, the situation is so poisonous in Washington right now that it doesn't matter who wins the presidential election. It doesn't matter which party takes control of the Senate. They're not going to fix this in the foreseeable future. And will they fix it sometime before the trust funds run out, which originally we thought was going to be around 2035, but due to the COVID pandemic and resulting recession, where so many people have lost their jobs, meaning so many people are not paying FICA taxes, that that date has been moved up. You know, it's a debatable date. It might be 2031. It might mm-hmm. be the end of this decade. We don't really know right now. But the question is. Will Congress step in time to fix it? And in the meantime, what do financial advisors whose whole business is planning for the future do in these uncertain times?
0: Yeah, the thing that struck me about the story was that I, it just looks so dire, but I did like how you, how you asked people about, this always comes up in times like this, the Roth, the opportunities for Roth. Tell me why that is a factor to be considered for advisors.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, it's funny, when you look over the last 30, 40 years of retirement planning, it was all about tax deferral. What can I do to minimize my income taxes today and push that tax bill off to the future? And the way most of us did it was to save through qualified retirement plans, either our 401k at work or our IRA on the own. But now, since 2017, the tax law that was passed then, Jobs and Tax Act, we are probably living in the lowest personal income tax rates that we will ever see in our lifetime. That has been compounded by the fact that due to the pandemic and the stimulus that Congress has passed at over $4 trillion at this point, that bill is going to become due at some future point. These really low tax rates that we are enjoying right now are due to expire at the end of 2025. So this period we're in now would seem to be an ideal time for clients to start converting some of their traditional retirement accounts to a Roth IRA. Now, yes, that does mean you have to pay income taxes on any of the amounts you convert, but rates are really low like now. I would not suggest people convert everything at once you'd have a huge tax bill but it might make sense to convert a little this year convert a little next year convert a little the following year to get money into that tax free column because that means in the future your the amount of your retirement income that you withdraw hopefully less of it will be subject to income tax and we don't know what those rates will be in the future and another reason this is such a good time to do it particularly 2020 is for older clients who are normally subject to required minimum distributions, which used to be 70 and a half and still is for some. And for other people, it's age 72. They don't have to take those required minimum distributions this year. Great time to take the money out anyway and convert it to a Roth. So lots of good planning opportunities.
0: What about for people who are not in retirement and are still contributing? Is is,
2: does a roth make more sense than a than a traditional ira well it depends on your income it depends on your age for young people starting out who generally aren't making a lot of money a roth is a great idea because they don't really take take advantage of the tax break in their in their low tax bracket and they're going to have decades of tax-free growth and mm-hmm. also there are some Great escape hatches with a Roth IRA. For example, you take a certain amount of money out, penalty free to buy a first home, and there are other you know emergency escapes. Now, if you're older, maybe in your prime earning years, you might make too much money to contribute to a Roth IRA. But ask your employer if your employer has a Roth 401k, there are no in- income limits to contribute to that. If that's not an option, but you do have maybe some traditional i r a money, you can convert that money to a roth. There are no income limitations when you convert money to a roth, but you do have to pay income taxes on it
0: okay i want I want to get back to those rascals in Congress now, is this something that you think will be fixed or the the trust fund deficit and and how does it get fixed i mean I, It seems like we always hear these stories like yours about how Social Security is running out of money. And that's a massive oversimplification for somebody as smart as you on this subject. But it gets people worked up. It gets people worried. And it seems like we hear these stories over and over and over again. I mean, what's the handicap this for us?
2: Well, I firmly believe Congress will step in in time to shore up the trust funds and to make sure promised benefits are paid to what would be current retirees at the time and those near retirement. How do you define that? Who knows? 62, 60, 55, you know, whatever they pick at the time. I I cannot foresee that Congress would actually allow benefits to be cut for people who will be in or near retirement at that time. To give you an idea. Right now, we have roughly 70 million people receiving Social Security benefits between right. retirement, survivors, disability. Next decade, it's going to be 80 million people. You are simply not going to tell 80 million people that we're going to cut your benefits. <laughs> because <laughs> look at what has happened during this pandemic.
1: That's Who political is, suicide, right, Mary Beth? If, if.
2: That, That's the third rail of politics. Touch it and you die. But at the same time, When a similar situation happened back in 1983, where for the first time, Social Security was in danger of not being able to pay those benefits, Congress fixed it on the spot. You know, they didn't give themselves a long runway. It was basically running out of money in 1983, and they fixed it in 1983. Mm -hmm. I could foresee the same thing happening in the future. They're not really good. And look at it this way from a um, political standpoint that if you are a member of Congress and you are going to say to your constituents, hey, good news, I'm going to fix Social Security. Except the only ways we can do that is we're going to cut future benefits or we're going to raise future retirement age or we're going to raise your taxes. Now, none of those sound like great ideas to the American public, which is one of the reasons politicians keep kicking this can down the road until they can no longer do that. They will fix it. They're just not in a hurry to get there, and it needs bipartisan support on the Hill, and it needs leadership from the White House, and we have neither of those things right now.
1: Yeah, Mary Beth, you're asked this question all the time, though, right? Uh, I remember maybe one of the first times we met at Investment News ten years ago or so, and and we had you know a meet and greet, and you gave a presentation, I think, and someone asked you this question, and you're kind of the, the, the message that you had was this is the most single popular benefit program ever created by the federal government. There's no way that a bunch of politicians would shoot themselves in the foot collectively by not fixing this thing. But it's something that obviously weighs on the minds of average Americans and their financial advisors. And the thing that I was struck is that by your story is that the, the the precipice is about five years sooner <laughs> than we imagined, right? It's instead of, because I'm going to try to retire in 2035, and that was the year when the system was supposed to run out of money and everyone was scheduled to get their benefit cut by 25% at that time. Now you're saying it's 2031, 2030, 2031, something like that, right?
2: Well, let me jump in because it is a little bit of apples and oranges here. The official Social Security trust fund report that they issue each year, when they issued it in 2020 this year, they said, yeah, it's the trust fund's going to run out around 2035, the same as we predicted last year. But that report was done before the pandemic hit. Right. So that was one group. That's the official Social Security trustees report. What I'm reporting on now is a separate group, the Congressional Budget Office, nonpartisan, thoroughly believable, trustworthy, but their estimates are always a little more conservative than the Social Security Trust Fund. They always expected it to run out a little earlier than the trustees did. I and see. they have moved that up a bit. So I don't want people to say, oh, we've gone from 2035 to 2031. They're really two different forecasts. The the emphasis being because of the pandemic and the recession and less money going in through FICA taxes, logically, this trust fund expiration date will happen sooner than previously planned. But the important thing, and, and one of the experts I quote, Wade in this story is, yes, the trust funds will probably run out earlier, but that is a separate decision than deciding when to claim benefits. For the people who are saying, oh, it's got a run of money, I'm going to grab it at 62 while I can. Well, let's take that to the logical conclusion. Let's say in an unbelievable uh, chain of events, Congress says, we're not going to rescue it. Yeah, we're going to have to cut your benefits by 21%. Well, if you claimed your benefits early at 62, you already took a 25% pay cut because you grabbed it early. And now Congress is going to cut it another 21%. All you've done, it's much like selling your stock portfolio at the bottom of the market. The only thing you've done is guaranteed a lock in a loss, just like selling stocks at the bottom of the market.
1: Right. You said recently, essentially beginning from the age of 62 to the age of 70, the benefit compounds or accrues at what, 7% a year, 8% a year?
2: Between your full retirement age and 70, it's 8% a year. It's a smaller percentage between 62 and your full retirement age.
1: Okay, so your point is that what other investment are you guaranteed to see that kind of return on, basically, right?
2: Precisely, because we are in a zero interest rate environment. If you're going to take that money, you have to say, where can I put this and earn a risk-free return, okay? You're not going to get 8% a year anyplace else. You could say, I could put it in the market. Absolutely. You might make 30%. You might lose 30%. Right. But comparing it to a risk-free return, you're talking zero.
1: Yeah. Remarkable. Remarkable.
0: Hey, Mary Beth, I I got a question that's always been burning at me forever. I, I don't understand how Congress, they can see this train coming forever. All right. They've got all these people, some people that do nothing but calculate these formulas. How are we always running out of money in social security? Uh, you know, well,
2: well let's back up to me. the last time this happened, which was 1983. And was by the way, the, yeah. And I was a very young reporter for United <laughs> press international. I wasn't even born yet. That. <laughs> Go ahead. You young thing. <laughs> but I, I watched the sausage being made. You know what? The big reason we're having problems Back in 1983, when the commission, the Bipartisan Commission on Social Security that was run by Alan Greenspan, long before he was chairman of the Federal Reserve Board, they said, as long as 90% of U.S. wages are taxed for FICA purposes, Social Security is good in perpetuity. We don't have to Mm -hmm. worry about it running out of money. The problem is, for FICA tax purposes, the portion that supports Social Security There is a maximum taxable wage base. Right now, this year, 2020, it's $137,700. Next year, it's going up to $142,800. People who make more than that do not pay FICA taxes on the excess to fund Social Security. They pay a little bit to fund Medicare, but not Social Security. So the problem is the income inequality. So many people are making so much more than the top of the taxable wage base that now, instead of 90 percent of U.S. wages being taxed to support Social Security, it's only about 83 percent. Yeah. But if we gradually push that up.
0: Yeah. This is the point that I on that. I know there's a cap on withdrawals, but there's also a cap on on the payout. So. Correct. Why, why does it matter if somebody makes a million dollars a year? They can only get paid so much in, in Social Security benefits.
2: Exactly. If you make $200,000 or $2 million a year, you're paying the exact same amount in Social Security FICA taxes. You're paying up to that taxable wage base right now of $137,700. It's about $8,000 in FICA taxes for an employee and about twice that for self-employed.
0: Right so my point is making the fact that wages have increased dramatically since 1983 doesn't matter that that I don't see how that impacts running out of social security money because the the payout is still is set at what they take in it sounds like they're just not managing the money right
2: no it's that less money is in other words those excess wages are not funneling into the social security system as it was envisioned.
1: The funnel is smaller, basically, right. or the tube right. that's sucking out. It used to be at, say, a 90% margin. Now it's at an 83% margin. So it's right. so that's the, that's the problem. And Mary Beth's, uh, as Mary Beth is saying, the solution would be to bump up the maximum income taxed allowed or something like that from Right, exactly. The taxable
2: wage base.
1: To 250, and, I, exactly. would be, I, I would be pissed off if I was that person saying, oh my God, I got to pay more social security taxes. I really don't want to do that. Don't I pay enough already? And then you also have, a, uh, but it's also a corporate tax, right, Mary Beth? Because the companies match the 6% that you're paying with their 6%, right?
2: Right. The employer and the employee each pays 6.2%. Now, the people who really get stuck are the self employed people like yours, children, truly because you paid both shares, the employee and the employer share. However, when you file your income taxes, you do get a tax credit for of uh, uh, employer share of that. Now, the bigger issue, which Jeff and I, and I, Bruce, I think we t- discussed on a previous podcast, is there is this taxable wage base that says this is the maximum amount you can be taxed, but it also plays into the benefit formula that your future benefits are based on your average lifetime earnings. The big controversy is some people who want to reform this want to have people pay more in taxes, you know, these higher income workers, but they don't want to pay more out in benefits. Now, personally, I think that's wrong because this has always been a covenant between workers, employers, and the government. If I'm putting more in, I should be able to take more benefits out. And that will be one of the very contentious issues that policymakers will have to discuss. Yes, it will. Here's the bottom line for our audience of financial advisors. What do they do with this information?
1: Well, this is a real planning. I mean, this is as bread and butter planning as you can get for a financial advisor, right? This This is a great opportunity to get people in and to talk to your clients, basically about their financial But but the problem
2: is your software tells you, plugs in, here's your social security benefit. And if your client's 60 or older, you can probably go with that. The younger your client is, I think the financial advisor has to make the decision, "Mm, maybe I'll scale that back. Maybe I won't put a hundred percent of those social security benefits in the way my software is telling me to do it. That's the real art of the deal here, you know, the art and science of financial planning, your software is going to tell you one thing. Can you really believe that in this political environment? The bottom line is nobody knows.
1: Yeah, but I think the top the the advisors I speak to and that you, you all speak to, um, these are some top people. They're running all kinds of scenarios for people from no social security whatsoever all the way up to the maximum benefit and and slicing and dicing in between.
2: Right. And it's a great opportunity to have conversations with the client, to educate the client and to say, well, okay, if we didn't get this full Social Security benefit, what other levers can we pull? And let's talk about it now when you're 45 and 50 and not wait till you're 60 and beyond to discuss it. Maybe you need to work a couple of years longer. Maybe you need to save a little bit more. Maybe we want to take advantage of some tax arbitrage right now and move some money to a Roth. It's a great planning opportunity for advisors and clients.
1: Fantastic. Thank you, Mary Beth.
2: Thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about one of my favorite topics.
0: <laughs> yes, we know you love it. And, and we really do like having you here and we learn so much every single time. And every single time I, I wonder if there's going to be enough money for me when I retire. I wish you had that answer. <laughs>
2: It will be. That's what planning is all about. Uh,
0: there you go. All right. <laughs> well, you're only like thirty five, man. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, I know. I I just like to worry. It 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 keeps me in shape. It keeps my heart. Thirty five year old grandpa out there. You know. <laughs> That's right.
2: That's my job, Jeff. Is to keep you worried.
0: <laughs> well, you're you're doing a great job. <laughs>
1: That was uh, another great episode from Wells Fargo and Morgan Stanley to Mary Beth Franklin and Social Security, to the fears, the inner fears of Jeff, the Professor Benjamin. (laughs) I love it. So, hey, that's our podcast for this week. As everyone knows, you can get this every Monday. It's known as the Investment News Podcast. We would like to thank once again our most special guest, Mary Beth Franklin, whom I call the dear Abbey of Social Security. We also want to thank our very own tech guy. That's Stephen Lamb, one of the best in the business. And of course, if you're listening to the Investment News Podcast, you can find it at investmentnews.com, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Uh, everywhere where you get these things. Please leave us a review on Apple. Also, please follow us on Spotify pretty pretty please if you care to shoot us a question or a topic jeff and i would be delighted to discuss it on any future podcast within reason of course jeff can be reached on twitter his twitter handle is at benji Ryder. me bruce kelly i am at bd news guy thanks for listening and we'll be talking to you next week